through this psychedelic experience I had taking these mushrooms and being able to pull the mask back and look at who I was and really writing the book and being so open about how alcohol was affecting me and how I have decided to remove it, it kind of became this like accountability. You know, it was like, if I say it out loud, and I say it to my fans, I'm going to want to stick with it more. And it's been incredible to go out and play shows and have people come up to me like at the merch table and say like, I quit drinking, you inspired me. And it's just absolutely changed my life tenfold. I just feel like I'm firing on all cylinders now. And there's nothing holding me back. I don't feel like it's a punishment. I feel like it's a gift. And I see so many people struggle with it. I'm really happy that I made the choice to be vulnerable and share those things with the world because it's been life changing and it gave me all these songs and gave me the ability to help me finish my book and start this new chapter. That was Margot Price. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt. And what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we we've come and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. In December of last year, the New York Times ran a feature article titled The Unstoppable, Unsinkable, Uninhibited Margot Price. That apt headline put a huge smile on my face. I felt joy at the well-deserved and hard-won attention and critical acclaim Margot had been receiving and the recognition of a woman who has literally given everything she has to music on her own terms. Today, I'll add another word to that list undeniable. From the first notes of her 2016 debut, Midwest Farmer's Daughter, singer, songwriter, producer, multi-instrumentalist, and now author, Marco Price was unquestionably a voice and an artist that was not just one to watch, but one to bet on. The album debuted at number 10 on the Billboard Top Country album chart and was the first time in history of the chart, which started in 1964, that a solo female debuted in the top 10 without having any history on the hot country singles chart. Those who've been on the ride over the last seven years and four more albums to date, 2017's All American Made, That's How Rumors Get Started in 2020, and this year's Strays and its recently released companion Strays 2 have cheered Margot on while she racked up a Grammy nomination in 2018 and over the years, multiple Americana Music Award nominations, including this year where Margot earned nominations for Artist of the Year, Album of the Year, and Song of the Year, tied for the most nominations of any artist in 2023. But her musical accolades aren't the only thing we fans have been cheering on. Margot is an outspoken activist, feminist, and trailblazer in her own right. She's the first female artist to sit on the board of directors of Farm Aid. She's spoken out about gun control and abortion rights. And her 2022 memoir, Maybe We'll Make It, even further reinforced what was apparent from the beginning. Margot Price is a shero. She's overcome personal tragedy, music industry sexism, and alcohol addiction, and now celebrating two decades and counting of a life and career in Nashville with her incredibly talented songwriting partner, husband, and bandmate Jeremy Ivey, along with the release of the newly expanded album Strays and Strays 2. We are thrilled to welcome Margot Price as this week's Shiro 
in the spotlight. Margo Price, welcome to Shiro's. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Congratulations on Strays and Strays 2, and maybe we'll make it. Why don't we talk about the most current thing? Strays and Strays 2. Strays 2 just came out about a week ago. Strays came out nine months ago. I was wondering whether you did that on purpose. I feel like everything you do is intentional. So was that... An I've, intentional move, I've had this in months? my back pocket for sure. And I released both of them on Friday the 13th, which was definitely intentional because of the history of Friday the 13th and how it kind of used to be this day to celebrate divine feminine energy. And, you know, it has to do with the cycles and the moon and everything. So that definitely was part of the plan. <laughs> And the nine month waiting period between also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So talk to us about the album, maybe in both incarnations. Are we getting additional material that was from the same sessions or is this something that was recorded in a different round? No, these were all the same sessions and really the, it could have been a double album. But I just think that keeping vinyl affordable, I don't know how the attention span of the, <laughs> of the average music listener is these days. You know, everybody's watching these like 15 second reels all day. So even just to get people to sit down with one LP is enough mm -hmm. of a challenge, I think. So this is just part two. I thought it would be great to be able to just drop the second collection of songs and then bring people back to the album that came out in January. So when your memoir came out last fall, how did that time out the writing of the memoir and the writing of these songs? So they kind of overlapped. I was definitely working on the memoir long before the album. Mm -hmm. I started writing the memoir back in 2018 when I found myself pregnant with my daughter Ramona. And then I kind of put it down for a while. And eventually, once I got my book deal with University of Texas Press and found my editor, Naomi Huffman, who was just absolutely brilliant. I picked it back up and then I was working on them at the same time. So definitely there are some chapters and some song titles and just lyrical references and things that you'll notice even from the prologue of the book. And then there'll be a line in like Lydia that kind of match up. So there's Easter eggs if you're paying attention. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, my gosh, I really should have spent a lot more time like with both. I read the book when it first came out and then recently just spent a bunch of time diving into Strays and Strays, too. And I was like, oh, my God, now I need to go back and read the book and put the two together. Well, there's an audio book as well. I had so much fun recording that in Nashville. And I got to include a lot of my early demos, a lot of material from, you know, my youth that nobody's ever heard. So if you go back and you the Maybe We'll Make It audiobook, which was done by Dreamscape. You get to hear my voice and also songs that have never before seen the light of day. It was kind of strange to, you know, be in this room and I had a producer that was doing the audiobook because, of course, I had no idea. I'd never done an audiobook before. You know, I'd been in yeah. a studio many, many times, but this was a lot different. I had never met him. I had never met the engineer. And here I am divulging some of the most personal details about my life. And he was incredibly emotional in a lot of parts. And I got to the darkest chapter in the book and was just bawling my eyes out as I was reading it. And I felt embarrassed, you know, for getting so emotional. But I looked out into the control room and I had these two full grown men that were strangers. They were both out there weeping with me. 
Yeah. And so there was something that was really cathartic about that. Since we're talking about the book and how it overlaps with Strays, do you want to choose a song to start us off today that does that? Sure. I would love to play the title track, Strays. And this is from Strays 2. This is kind of Jeremy and I's love story in a nutshell. It's like the abbreviated Cliff Notes version of the book. track to Strays coming from Strays 2, the expanded version of the album by Margot Price. She's our guest today on Shiro's and I'm Carmel Holt. So you're saying that Strays tells the story of you and Jeremy. And for those that haven't read your book or maybe aren't a deep fan to know your background, can you share a little bit with us about your story and about how significant that relationship has been to your career? Absolutely. Well, this week, Coming up here is my husband, Jeremy, and I's 15-year wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. We've been together for 20 years, and we had both just moved to Nashville to pursue our separate dreams as songwriters. And we met at a college party at Belmont and had a one-night stand that (laughs) has pretty much not ended. You know, he's just been such a part of my story. He's co-written songs on almost all of my albums with me and is pretty much responsible for helping break my career because, you know, we'd been in many, many bands and made so many albums together prior to my debut that came out on Third Man Records, which was Midwest Farmer's Daughter. And Jeremy sold our car to help make that album We had been through a lot of personal turmoil in our personal life and, you know, we'd lost a a child and just had a a really rough go of it. And so it's pretty much a miracle that we have stayed together through everything. And, you know, it's not always easy. I think everybody sees something from the outside and they don't realize the work that goes into it to continue to be together because... If we would have split up when things got bad or when things got tough, then it wouldn't be what it is. But we are still together. We're still working on our relationship. And actually, we just recorded another album together. This is an album of Jeremy's. And he went into the studio last week in Nashville and he played all the instruments except the drums and the percussion. And I did harmony. So we made this album, just the two of us. And I think it's pretty much a miracle that we can continue to raise kids, tour together, travel together, live together. And it definitely comes with its challenges. But they say that love is not a stone. It does not just sit there. It's bread. You have to get up and you have to make it every day. Hmm. (laughs) 
Oh, man, that's such a good analogy. And I'm thinking about the history of women doing your job and being in a couple. There's like great examples of it succeeding. And then there's like terrible examples of it not succeeding and the battles of the egos that happen. And it's really exceptional, your ability to weather those storms and to keep doing what you're doing. And also like the fact that you're so outspoken and you're such an amazing example for other women in terms of fighting for for what you believe in. I think it takes a really strong man to be with a really strong woman who is as opinionated and I'm such a feminist and of course Jeremy is as well. It's not the way that a lot of households, a lot of marriages have been done, you know, especially since our parents came from the generation where the woman stood behind the man and the man always had to be the bigger breadwinner and everything. So it's definitely a, a unique example. I mean, even how we kind of run our home and operate our home life. Like Jeremy does a lot of the cooking and a lot of the dishes and I take out the garbage and do the gardening and a lot of the outside chores. So it's, we just have a very unique situation and I'm really grateful that it works for us. Your story is also so inspiring and I appreciate so much your ability to share and be open about how it's had its highs and lows and kind of continues to have highs and lows as recently as the pandemic. And I know a lot of us went through tough times during that time, artists especially. You had a crisis of identity, even knowing where your career was going, even though you had achieved so much success. Can you talk to us a little bit about how this album dovetails into a low that then became this incredible body of work? Yeah, I think being home for those months, you know, I had also just had a child and had to take off so much time from working. It all came at a, at a moment when my career, I was just kind of primed to do these certain things. And then I had to take off so much time. And I had a complete existential meltdown thinking that because I was aging, I was going to come out of the pandemic. And lo and behold, here I'm 40. I just absolutely thought that I was going to have no value and no place and no seat at the table. And um, I was tailspinning. I also was really, really struggling with abusing alcohol and just leaning on it to numb myself. And I had, that had been a cycle that had been going on for years and years and years. And I had, sometimes I absolutely had it under control. And that was kind of all an illusion. I think that, you know, nobody ever wants to have to remove that from your life because it feels like some sort of punishment, like, oh, you're this, yeah. you're this broken person and you can't handle these things, but other people can. And so it was kind of through this psychedelic experience I had with psilocybin and taking these mushrooms and being able to pull the mask back and look at who I was and really writing the book and being so open about, you know, how alcohol was affecting me and how I have decided to remove it, it was kind of became this like accountability. You know, it was like, if I say it out loud and I say it to my fans, I'm going to want to stick with it more. And it's been incredible to go out and play shows and have people come up to me like at the merch table, fans come talk to me and say like, I quit drinking, you inspired me. And it's just absolutely changed my life tenfold in ways that like, I just feel like I'm firing on all cylinders now and there's nothing holding me back. I don't feel like it's a punishment. I feel like it's a gift. And I see so many people struggle with it because it's such an addictive substance and it's the only drug that we have to explain to people why we're not taking it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really happy that 
I made the choice to be vulnerable and share those things with the world because, you know, it's like I look at Willie Nelson and I remember him saying that he gave up booze and cigarettes and was just, you know, smoking a little weed here and there. And that, that for me, it was huge. It was like, okay, there's somebody that I can relate to and somebody that I look up to so much and it's been life-changing and it's, it gave me, you know, all these songs and gave me the ability to help me finish my book and start this new chapter, this new, this new way of living. And it's so like integrated into our world, into our business, you know, the music business that is, and the whole narrative of needing to be fucked up in order to like hang. Yeah. Or even to create good art. Or to create your art. And what's crazy is that it's like, that's all an illusion anyway, because you're still going to have pain in your life. And is when it's not self-inflicted, it's also, it's just so strange because now I'm having to feel everything. And I'm not Mm -hmm. numbing out. So it's like I'm feeling more deeply and then in turn being able to, I don't know, kind of write more deeply, be more transparent. That almost made me cry. That is so true. And what an amazing lesson as well to share with people. I talked to, uh, do you know Alicia Bonyano, Bully? I do. I oh, love man. her. I love her music. I love uh, I love what she stands for as well. Yes. And we had a huge conversation about that. She was like, that narrative is so toxic. I'm sure it you is. guys have talked about it and like needs to go. It just needs 100%. to go. 100%. Is there a song that you feel like would fit really well into this moment of the conversation where we're talking about your sobriety and how you got clarity and made this record? Let's do Closer I Get, which features my friend Nayo, who is an incredible artist in her own right, has played with Harry Styles. And she did background vocals all over the entire album. This song, I think, touches on what we're speaking of. Being alive costs a lot of money So does dying Giving up takes a lot of effort Closer I get track two on Strays 2. Margot Price, our guest today on Shiro's, and that features Nayo. And Nayo is an artist that lived next door, right, to Jonathan Wilson or something. Is that how you met? Yes, she's originally from New Zealand. She played with Jonathan Wilson and his band. And then Harry Styles picked her up and she went on that whirlwind of a world tour with him. And now she's making her own art and music as well. Amazing. Before we went into the song, we were talking about where you were before you started to work on Strays. And you were describing this crisis that you were in, just having had a baby and feeling like coming out of the pandemic, you were going to be 40 and your career might be over or you would your value wouldn't be where it was before. And we started talking about so many other things. I didn't get to ask a follow up, which was like, do you think that that stems from the internalized misogyny and sexism that we experience in the music industry and ageism that tells us that once we have kids, once we hit a certain age, that our expiration date is up. 100%. It's ingrained. It's there. It's always been there. It's not disappearing. I mean, especially with the science of how, you know, we can reverse our aging and all the things that women are expected to do just to keep their 
appearance, you know, a certain way. And it's really disheartening for me to look at festival lineups and see a woman who, in my mind, is a legacy artist who is put out, and I'm not even going to name names, but, you know, you see people that have put out 20 records that have just been massively influential and you see their name just, just teeny tiny at the bottom and you just see, I mean, yes, the sexism, the racism, all those things that exist in not only country music, but in rock, in pop, in all of it. I mean, I've sat and talked to Cheryl Crow about ageism all day and you can just see the way that it plays out. And I do think that we have some really incredible women that are out there, they're aging naturally. Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, the No Facelift Club, and these women that are just like, no, this is, I'm going to age. I'm going to continue to be myself. You know, even Pamela Anderson not wearing makeup at Fashion Week. We need little things like that. We need women who are willing to go out there and say, yes, I have had work done or, you know, because when you're silent about all of that, you're really complicit to the patriarchy. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to do those things. Absolutely nothing wrong at all. But just being transparent so little girls have a realistic example of what <laughs> what it takes out there to kind of prop everything up. And I think, you know, even Dolly Parton, she's been so transparent from the beginning about, oh yeah, everything about me is fake, but it's what's inside that is real. And just simply her being truthful, making sure people know that what really matters is what comes from the inside. So what did you need to go through in order to overcome those things? Or have you overcome those things? Like, are are you still wrestling with some of those internalized beliefs? Oh, absolutely. And my mind is a battlefield and I'm my own worst <laughs> critic. <laughs> you know, I'm going to therapy. I'm doing a lot of deep work on myself and doing things that I have just like put off for years that I thought was woo woo or, you know, privileged white people shit, <laughs> which part <laughs> of it is. But, and there is a lot that I, I know I've been incredibly transparent and vulnerable about the things I'm struggling with, but there's, there's some things that I keep to myself and that I am dealing with in real time right now that I just right. simply cannot share every detail, especially in the moment that it's happening, because I think that you need time to be able to reflect Definitely. on Definitely. a lot of those things. Yeah. So you've also been somebody that's had your hands right in the production of your records from the very beginning. And I always make a point to give credit where credit is due in these moments, because there's also a great imbalance when it comes to who's in the production chair, who's making the records and our experiences in the studio. And I was hoping that you could talk to us a little bit about that and taking the reins and how much you were involved with Strays. Yeah, I have loved being in the studio from even the very early days that Jeremy and I used to go in and, and make records in people's houses and stuff. I deeply regret not taking a production credit on Midwest Farmer's Daughter. And I just really didn't know what producer meant back in those days. But since All American Made, I've always had a producer credit because I think if you have ideas and if you're leading people, you absolutely should have that ownership. I have been so lucky to be able to produce records for my husband, also Jesse Coulter, who is just getting ready to release her record. That was such an incredible experience. And I love being behind the steering wheel. I really love, I love giving my opinion. 
<laughs> I love being in charge. I love telling people what to do. I'm a firstborn. I've always been that way. You know, Jonathan, we went out and worked a lot in his studio, but we also worked back here in Nashville in a studio called Creative Workshop. And then I went and finished a bunch of it at my buddy Dex's house and Jonathan wasn't able to be here. And I was, you know, in charge for those days. And we did do some virtual, like he would be listening in virtually and give some suggestions or whatever. But I think it's really important to advocate for yourself and stand up for yourself and say, yeah, I helped do that. And more women should. Do you want to point us to a track that you feel like super proud of on Strays where you were in charge from start to finish? Yeah. Anytime I call was one that got added to the sessions later. And it was one that just it took a really long time to get it right. And so we finished a lot of that with my buddy Dex Green and ended up changing the key. And I didn't like the drums that were on there. So we re-recorded the drums. And it was one that I just really, really wanted to get right because Jeremy wrote the song for me. And it was when we were kind of going through a really hard time. And I also love the George Harrison double slide guitar solo in the middle. So check that out. And Lucius is on there too, which is amazing. Absolutely. So brilliant. And I needed them. I needed them to help me fill it out. It wasn't coming together the way I wanted. And so I hit up Holly and Jess and they just made it shine. That's off Strays. And we have Margot Price with us on Shiro's. I'm Carmel Holt. I was thinking about you collaborating and producing for other women. Like you've got this Jesse Coulter project that's about to drop. What do you personally get out of collaborating with other women? It's just incredible to be able to work with friends and people that I admire. And I don't actually get a lot of time to be social. So when I can make my work collaborative and have an excuse to get together and sing with people that I love, it's always a joy. I released a song with Mavis Staples called Fight to Make It. And my friend Adia came in, Adia Victoria. And that was another one that it had to have that collaboration. It had to have Mavis's wise voice in there. It was initially Ronnie Spector was going to sing on that song and it was going to be her like swan song. She was getting ready to kind of have this comeback and her and I kind of were pen pals for a while and I got to tell her how much she meant to me. So we still kind of 
dedicated that song in memory of Ronnie, but grateful I could collaborate with a legend like Mavis on it. I love that huge article that Pace Magazine just did about you. The cover story was wonderful. And I loved this one quote where it said, it's a textbook case of an industry and its writers continuing to turn a first chapter into the entire novel. I just thought that was just so perfect. What can you tell us about your experience thus far with being forced or kind of nudged into a particular lane and how you've managed to push back on that? I think any time that somebody tries to put an artist or, you know, musician inside of a box, they are never going to reach their full potential because you cannot grow outside of the box. And I have never felt like I fit into the country world. You know, I don't always necessarily feel that I fit into the Americana world either. And it's just really freeing to be able to say, I'm going to make music my way. I'm going to live life by my terms. I'm going to sing about and write about things that other people are not doing because I find a lot of people trying to assimilate and do things like that is more like fitting in because everybody does want to fit in. But I have always felt like the odd man out and I'm just learning to really embrace how different I am and try to follow my muse no matter where it leads. And that's one of the gifts, I think, of age and really coming into your own. I never really understood this until like I just turned 50 this year. And this whole idea of when you approach middle age and there's this like no fucks given kind of moment that happens for you. I'm like, oh, yeah, here it is. I get it now. And like, I think the past couple of years has also, if there was any fear around speaking up and speaking your mind, it's time. We got to say it. Absolutely. And I just sleep better at night when I'm true to myself. (laughs) I've spent so much time trying to, you know, worry about what other people thought about me. And the older I get, you're right, the less I care. How do you feel about being asked about balancing your career and motherhood? I think it's a tired question, right? It's like, do we ask every man how they balance their career and fatherhood? It is a difficult thing to walk because I do think that moms are typically, especially this generation, we were always kind of taught that we had to be taking care of everybody else. And it's definitely been a challenge this year to do it. But I also feel like it's completely manageable and we should all just be proud to be working moms instead of being ashamed that you can't be home or something. It's like, go out, live your life, live to your fullest potential and be that example for your kids. And if you do stay home and you're a working mom, that's a job too. And like more power to you because that's one of the most difficult jobs is is raising kids and people don't realize how much work it is. Is there anything that you can point to or see that might need adjusting or change in the music business when it comes to being a mother? I think just America in general has a long way to go if we want to help parents and help working moms. I mean, you know, childcare is so expensive, is so ridiculous. And people are always saying to me like, oh, but you're rich. You don't have to raise your kids. You can just hire somebody else to do it. And I'm like, do you think this is the 1990s? Because nobody's getting... Nobody's getting filthy rich anymore. I don't have a radio hits or anything. You know, I have my mother watch my children. And if she didn't do that, I couldn't even afford to tour. It's wild how hard it is to take care of our kids in America. 
And obviously, you know, there's other places right now that are struggling way more than us. But yeah, I think give all musicians some health insurance and start paying us what we're worth. And we can just start there, mom or not. Yeah. Totally. I've heard answers to that question like we need to unionize. And I've also talked to women who say like we need to actually make more because we need to pay for child care. Yeah. If we were centering women and mothers in music, the green rooms and the backstage areas would be totally different, too. Like, can you imagine what it would look like? Some baby changing stations back there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have Marco Price with us on Shiro's. The new album is Strays and Strays 2. And her new memoir is called Maybe We'll Make It. Where should we go next? Do you want to point us to another song on the album? Maybe a favorite? I love Malibu and the way that that song turned out. The strings, the production by Drew Erickson on there and... The fact that I wrote it with Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers during a fire that broke out in Topanga Canyon. Yeah, give this one a spin. It's got some real Bobby Gentry vibes. Crowded everywhere, but I still feel lonely. Everybody talks full of baloney. Where can I run that I haven't already? Hands start shaking and my heart ain't steady. Say love and grief are a package deal The more you have, the more you feel I had a dream but I tried to forget it What happened next, couldn't have guessed it Chase that dream all the way to Malibu It's an unfinished business to attend to But I blame myself, I don't blame you For leaving me stranded We have Margot Price with us on Shiro's, and that's one of my favorites, too. It's Malibu. It features Jonathan Wilson and Buck Meek from Big Thief, who I absolutely adore. How did you meet Buck? I met him hanging out at Jonathan's. Yeah, he just also was a neighbor and he came by and yeah, he jumped in the recording booth and it was really fun to get to know him and his band. And then I, of course, got turned on to Adrian and all of their music. I'm just a massive fan of hers and what they do. Since we are not only a podcast, but also a radio show, I always love to, when I can, talk about radio because part of the mission is also to explore how we can maybe level the playing field a little bit there because we still have some work to do in terms of diversity and what voices are being heard. And I was curious to know what your experience has been, if you'd be willing to share or any observations that you've made over the course of your career. How have things changed for the better as far as radio goes? Do you think we still have some work to do and how could we make it better? Um, absolutely. There's things that could be better. I think especially it's been exposed, but everything in the country music world and just you can go look at the percentage of women they play and just know that there has work to be done. I don't listen to country radio. I, I did one radio tour like, I don't know, almost eight or nine years ago and I didn't really have any luck from it. I think now I'm getting played on radio, but it's different radio. There's a lot of college radio. And there, I mean, there's people that are really good to me and they're playing my albums. So I should say thank you to some DJs and fuck you to some others. And just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I keep my head out of the business side of things as much as I possibly can. Because right, that makes sense. Yeah, I got to keep my environment free of toxic energy. But 
But this album well, and Loma Vista and the team that I have behind me right now, I really do have to shout out to Ayapa and my whole entire team because I've gotten more radio play on this album than I ever, ever, ever have. And that is huge. And it means a lot. I actually just had a mother from my kid's school just texted me and said, your song radio featuring Sharon Van Netten is on at Michael's right now. And I was like, Michael who's? And then I was like, oh, this, oh my gosh, the, the store. store. That's incredible. <laughs> so I, I mean, I really have more people to thank than I have more people to flip off during That's this good. go around. Yes. And thank you to public radio. I, I come from a Amen. public radio background and, and worked with Rita at FUV. And I remember when, yeah. And I remember when the first record came out and her just being like, okay, we're putting this on like, incredible. Boom, no, yeah, I know. I have a lot of thank yous to send out this year. I do. Also, congratulations on all of the Americana nominations that you got this year. You know, what's the saying? It's like always a bridesmaid, never a bride. I get nominated every year, but I never win. But I had a great time. I had a Bonnie Raitt gave me one of the best compliments of my life backstage. She said that she sees me as her musical sister and she really thought I should have won. So that's all wow. I needed. Who are your sheroes? Who are the women that have most inspired you? Joan Baez, who I'm getting ready to go see this evening for her new documentary, I Am a Noise. She is my all time, probably biggest shero. Maybe the Staples, as I mentioned, Loretta Lynn, Emmylou Harris, Nina Simone. I feel like the list just goes on and on and on. I have so many, so many incredible musicians that have just influenced me from Buffy St. Marie to Tina Turner. It's a very wide range of incredibly talented women that I owe so much to. Where do you think the roots of your feminism came from and your ability to kick doors down? My mother. 100%. She burned a bra back in the 70s and she just raised me with this kind of attitude that was like, women can do anything. You don't need a man to take care of you or to pay for your shit. You get out there and keep up with the boys. And I've always lived with that kind of roll up your sleeves. We can do it. What are some doors you want to kick down in the future? Should we make this a Shiro's magic wand wish? What I do you want to change in the music industry for women and non-binary and queer folks? Let's say people of color as well. What Absolutely. would you like to change? I would love everybody to just be more inclusive and to look at the festival bills and to look at, you know, if you're a DJ, who you're playing and look at the percentages of who you're playing. I would love women to be talked about as though they are the main act and not as though we're some opener. That's not the way that it has to be. It's not men's arts up here, Bob Dylan's up here and Joni Mitchell's down here. No, they're both up here. I would love musicians to be able to unionize and I would love us to be able to strike. But I believe because we are all independent contractors, they've made it very hard. They've got us in between a rock and a hard place. And I would love labels to stand up for their artists when it comes to streaming and the corporations that have everybody by the nuts. I would love to see artists be paid for their art and I would love there to be as much value on music and culture and art in this world as there is on just going to Starbucks and getting a $5 cup of coffee. I would love people to realize that if we don't pay songwriters and treat it as a profession that we're going to have a bunch of garbage written by computers. <laughs> So those are things on my short wish list, but I'm sure there's just a whole whole slew of things out there that we could do better. Margo, if I get an actual Shiro's magic wand, I'm going to give it right to you. Pass it my way and we'll do some magic. Great. We'll be some superheroes. I, I love it. Thank you so much for being with us. How should we go out today? What do you want to play off of Strays? 
let's just go ahead and put on been to the mountain and burn it down. Thanks once again to Margot Price. Thank you for being on Shiro's. Thank you, Carmel. Many thanks to Margot Price for being with us. Strays and Strays 2 are available now on Loma Vista. And in celebration of Record Store Day, Margot has a new vinyl release out on Black Friday, Strays Live at Grimey's, which was recorded at the independent music store Grimey's in Nashville, Tennessee, on the release date of Strays. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiro shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening. <laughs>